0: So knock knock, our Father, our Father who who art in heaven, holy be your name. Uh, So I'm not Howard and I'm not preaching on Revelation, (laughs) I'm preaching on prayer so we're going back a uh, few weeks. Uh, and to be clear, I'm not a game show host either. My, my day job is a pastoral care co- coordinator for international students. Um, and I've been part of this congregation now for about 20 years. And as part of that congregation, I'm, I'm part of a prayer a prayer group on a Friday morning at 6.30. Uh, and actually, this, uh, this Friday in the dark, when Mike didn't have his glasses on. He mistakenly saw me as Howard. So um, that's how I got this job to replace him this morning. Uh, so this passage about the parable is what I'm going to focus on this morning. Uh, and although I say it's, it, I'm not preaching on Revelation, there's very clear links in this passage with, with that famous passage from Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So we're going to take a a little bit closer look at this passage this morning. Uh, There's a father and sons and friends all in the story. In fact, there's three friends, one who is a traveler, one who is a host, and one who is a father and a neighbor. And this passage comes directly after the Lord's Prayer Jesus uses it to amplify what he's taught his disciples uh, about prayer. And he goes about this by giving a real-life example, uh, that if we as human beings know how to treat our family and our friends decently, how much better will God, the creator of all things, respond to his children, his family, and his friends. So he starts with a question. Can you imagine? So we're going to start with that as well. So the next slide. So can you imagine? It's late at night. You are outside your neighbour's place. The whole household is asleep, including the baby. The door is locked. Now hands up if you would cry out and wake them all up for three loaves of bread. Would anyone do that? Three loaves of bread, you wake the your neighbours up in the middle of the night. No one. And imagine if you were the father inside and got woken up. How are you going to feel? You're going to be pretty grumpy. Okay, so the next scenario. Imagine, instead of three loaves of bread as the reason you are waking your neighbors up, you, your wife has gone into labor. Your car won't start, and you need to borrow a car to get to the hospital. Now, hands up if you were to wake your neighbour up. Instead of just being an old neighbour, your wife it's your wife's second cousin. What are you going to do? You're probably going to drive the car with them to hospital. So context, context matters. And so it's really important if, that we, um, we remember that about the hearers in the first century and what they would be doing. Uh, so we need to uh, take you back to the first century in Palestine to understand what the heroes would have done. And one of the important books that I've read about this is by Kenneth Bailey uh, called Poet and Peasant. So three, three things stand out that are particularly important to highlight. The requirement of hospitality, especially towards a guest. The communal living arrangements and how the values of honour and shame play a major role in the relationships and life in general. So firstly, in terms of hospitality. Can have the next slide. Just like in our day, the arrival of a friend late in the evening is unusual. But the time of arrival doesn't exclude the host from performing all the requirements of being a good host. In Jesus' time, just as in Middle Eastern culture today, hospitality is extremely important. There was an obligation to provide food and shelter to the traveller, so when someone shows up, even unannounced, late at night, the expectation was that they would share a meal together. The host must serve and the guest must eat. In doing so, one honours the other. And as part of this meal, an unbroken loaf of bread was the most basic necessity. Without bread, you could not eat. It was literally your knife and your fork and your spoon. Even today, when I go out with my Indian students, we use our hands, we break off some bread and dip it in the curry. It's great. So in Jesus' day, if you arrived late in the evening and someone arrives and doesn't and you don't have a full loaf of bread, you have a real problem. You won't be able to serve the meal. You risk bringing shame on your whole household. So to solve this problem, what would you do? you go find some bread, yeah. And this is where it's helpful to understand that in a communal uh, village, many resources are held in common You may be surprised to find out that in those days they didn't have an electric oven in everyone's kitchen. In fact, it was more like a communal oven. uh, Like a pizza oven, I guess. So you would know who in your neighbourhood had done the baking that day. So the first place that you would start looking and searching would be the people that had been done, who had done the baking. So it's no coincidence the host ends up at his friend's house. He knows that person is most likely to have three whole loaves of bread available. So also in this village, families lived in one bedroom dwellings. Mum, dads and the kids and maybe a few animals all sleeping together. And the houses were really close together, sometimes in a courtyard, sometimes one above another. So someone coming and yelling in the middle of the night, banging on doors, is not just going to wake up one family, but the whole household. Uh, next door and maybe some of the other neighbors so it means by the next morning everyone in the village is going to be aware about who caused the disturbance in the middle of the night actually if you reread the parable there's no knocking on doors only calling out in a small village everyone would know everyone else by name so they would be able to recognize each other's voices So if you went visiting at night you would call out so the person would recognise you rather than banging on the door. Uh, A bang on the door would would mean that it was a stranger knocking on your house. So I guess we can see that uh, in a small village by the next morning everyone in the village will know about the arrival of a visitor. What has transpired during the night and questions would be asked. Was he fed properly? who helped provide the meal, and more shockingly, who did not help? By entering the village, the friend has become a guest of the whole community. So any dishonour or humiliation of not providing the obligated meal would rest not just on the individual, but the whole village. In this community, not asking for help would be more embarrassing and potentially more damaging to friendships than disturbing someone's sleep. And we know this within our own communities with Māori and Polynesian families, where the bringing of resources together, uh, especially around something like a tangi, where with, where they come together to feed and to host the mana It's all about mana enhancing. So it's all about being able to provide the meal together collectively. And this this idea of shame and dishonour is extremely important in Eastern culture. Uh, Much of life is controlled by the shame or the avoidance of shame. So uh, especially with some of my Chinese students, they'll not come directly to ask for help. Uh, They'll get a friend to do it because if I don't know the answer to their question, that brings shame upon me as a teacher. And that puts both of us in embarrassing situations. So they would rather avoid asking for help than coming and asking me directly. So the same thing in this parable, the avoidance of shame is a powerful incentive for the father to wake up and do the right thing. So if we rehear this parable again and going to his friend, the host is asking the sleeper to fulfil his duty to the guest of the village, to help out a friend of a friend. It is understood and expected by everyone listening to Jesus telling the story that the same help will be automatically provided if the roles were reversed. The host actually has a very high expectation that his request will be answered when he goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night. It's not such a risk that he will be turned away and not got what he came for as our modern thinking might read into the situation. He can approach the door in full confidence, knowing that his friend has bread to give. And even though he might be a little bit grumpy about being woken up, he will still grant that request to honor both himself and the whole community and to avoid bringing shame on his own household. The request is modest, He has the resources to share, so refusal is unthinkable. This background helps us understand that this parable is not about describing God as being a grumpy old man, reluctant to get out of bed to help out his neighbor. And it's not about nagging and pestering God until he answers our long list of wishes and desires banging on God's door until we're exhausted, repeatedly asking for the same thing over and over. Remember, in this parable, there's no banging. The host only asks once for what he needs, and he's confident his needs will be met. And what he gets in return is far more than what he asked for. The neighbor's response is actually not to just give him three loaves of bread, but to give him as much as he needs. He generously provides all the other supplies to help provide the meal, and this way he honors himself, his friend, and the whole village. So the key point of this parable is that God is far more loving and generous and willing and able to help us than our human mates, even our best ones. The main theme of the whole passage shows how we as human beings will help our friends and family, even out of self-interest and obligation, to avoid being shamed. But how much will God help us as our friend? How much will our heavenly Father delight in giving good things to us, his children? It is in his DNA to hear the cries of his people and lovingly respond. It is preposterous to believe that a loving God will not hear us and do something about our request to him. In teaching his disciples to pray in this way, Jesus wants to emphasize that our Father in heaven is accessible to anyone through prayer. He uses this parable to teach us about the understanding that the, about the nature and character of God as our father and as our friend and then how we can be comfortable and confident enough to approach God on the basis of this relationship. This is the radical nature of the gospel. Both in Jesus's time and our time today he is not some far-off remote being that's not interested in our daily lives. Someone who's only accessible to a few holy people. All of us can get in on the act. Everyone who asks will receive, not just the so-called righteous, but the Marys and the Marthas, the disciples, the tax collectors, the sinners, even us here in Whangarei in the far corners of the earth. So when we pray, we do not need to feel any shame, for what we've done in the past, or embarrassment, that we might be waking God up or twisting His arm. It's not an inconvenience to God that we pray at any time, in any place. We're not bothering Him. In fact, I would argue that praying and asking for help when we need it is part of honouring His name. And when we pray, we can come with an expectation that our humble request will not only be heard, but he has the resources to supply more than we think we need. The gifts we receive will be beyond good, forgiveness of sin, mercy, grace, peace, joy, even the presence of the Holy Spirit who remains closer than a friend. He is waiting to be asked. So prayer is not complicated. It's not a game show where we have to get the questions right to win the prize. It's not a talent show where we have to perform our best to go through to the next round. It's not even password protected, but it does require our participation. It starts with stopping in our busyness. It starts with not relying on our own resources. It starts with us going and seeking out the one who can supply our needs. To stand at the door with the courage to cry or knock and ask the question please help me Lord have mercy and when the door is open we still have to walk through when a gift is given we still have to unwrap it and use it but this is the way that Jesus works in some ways it's just a reflection of him uh, the way that he seeks us out when we are lost or lonely the way that he knocks on our door and comes into our hearts the way that he asks us the question, come, follow me. I haven't got time to expand on this process today, but suffice to say this type of conversational prayer is foundational to building a relationship with our Father in heaven. It's an ancient spiritual practice that helps us change from the inside out as we open the space for a dialogue with God. And it's probably best put by a poet uh, A poet, yeah, called Mary Oliver. And I'm just going to read her poem now. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention, then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence and which another voice may speak. So I just want to end this part of the sermon by encouraging you to continue on praying, to continue to make the effort to ask. We can come up with lots of excuses why we don't engage in prayer more than we do. I know I do. Maybe we're like the first hearers of the parable who had a different picture in their head about God. That he's not a father or a friend, more a strict enforcer of the rules. Or maybe we believe we have to get things right before we can come. Or that he is so distant that he would never want to get involved. Or maybe our requests seem too impossible. Maybe we feel too embarrassed to knock on the door in the middle of the night when we're anxious or can't sleep. Or maybe you're like me and get a bit disappointed when your prayers are not answered. And you just get exhausted from asking time and time again. My encouragement is that today may be your day. So while we still have breath and life in our bodies, make prayer a daily practice for your life. Prayer makes us distinct as part of Christ's family. It's a particular activity that we have to offer the rest of the world in times of peace and in times of trouble and uncertainty. Through prayer, we can continue to connect and develop our relationship with our Father and in so doing, participate in bringing God's kingdom and earth to heaven. So we're going to come to a time of prayer now. It's important to keep reminding ourselves God is approachable, gracious, generous, and ready to not only hear but to respond to whoever asks. God gives good gifts, and the best gift of all is the Holy Spirit. We just need to ask,